So hey, today we're going to be continuing our series, My Life, My Response. We want to examine our response to the things in life, the ups and the downs, and, and see if our responses are in line with maybe the way God would have things look and sound and, and, and feel for those who claim him as their Lord. I, I feel like I'm in good company like literally I've been in church my whole life. I, I grew up in a very traditional church and my parents were never paid. They were never on staff, but if the doors were open, we were there working and serving. My dad was the president of the choir. Like they had these positions for him to be the bad guy so the music minister could always be the good guy. You know, that was his job. All the complaints about the choir were funneled to my dad. Some of my earliest memories of church were riding with him back when we had cassette tapes in the cars. You know, you guys are familiar with that. But if you grew up in a really traditional church and had someone in your family that sung in the choir, you might be familiar with their rehearsal cassette tapes that had the different like alto and tenor parts elevated a little bit in volume. So I was learning to harmonize as a five-year-old. And, and with the exception of a, of a brief career with Little Caesars in high school, church work is the only thing I've ever done. So in high school, I got the job, my first paying job ever besides like cutting grass in the neighborhood was I, I, I got a job at Little Caesars holding the sign by the road. I was that guy, $5 hot and ready, summer like 2003. And I just don't think my little town in Florida was ready for that good news yet because you would think, man, that's some like pizza ready to go. This is great news. But I got like a disproportionate amount of middle fingers thrown my way. Just being real. I don't, and I wasn't even one of those guys that's like dancing and flipping the signs around. This is just a simple plastic sign. So that was my door into Little Caesars. Eventually got a promotion and I was like literally taking a paintbrush and a big tub of butter and painting it on the crazy bread. That's how they do it, y'all. It's a paintbrush of butter. And here in the South, we call that a double portion blessing. Amen? <laughs> Amen. So church people, you grew up around it, you feel like you've seen it all. And, and, and the problem is, when you get a little bit routine with something and you feel like you know what to expect, you tend to lower your expectations. Like you're not surprised by anything. Being in church my entire life, I've had the, the strangest things happen. I've been leading worship twice when lightning has struck the building and killed everything. I think that's why I'm not a worship leader anymore. Also, you guys know how at the beginning of service, there's a countdown clock going. It's like little slides and pictures of kids' ministry and camps and all the exciting things. Well, that's, that's pretty normal. A lot of churches have that. Well, usually, you use that time when you're a worship leader. Make sure your guitar's in tune. Drummer, you good? Keys, we're good. All right. So it's like 15, 14, and this woman walks up on stage from the front row, and I'm like, she didn't audition for the worship team. What's happening here? Nathan, I have a question. Ten. Nine, eight, um, now this is kind of a, hey, Nathan, uh, what are ions? <laughs> Five, four, I'm like, like a positive or negatively charged particle? Like it's been a minute since I've taken a physics class. Is that right? Wow, let's talk about it later. We'll pray about it. Everybody get on your feet. Three, two, one, let's worship God together. Crazy stuff happens in church. I, I grew up down in the panhandle of Florida and there's, there's an interesting breed of Southerners there on that like Gulf Coast area and specifically Calhoun County are where my ancestors are from. And that makes Dawsonville look metropolitan. So just gonna, gonna leave it right there. And this one lady, this one lady, Miss Christine, I, I think everybody's got a Miss Christine in their senior adult ministry. This lady, every conversation with Miss Christine was a TMI conversation, right? Like you learn way, like we've got a prayer request card for that, Miss Christine. So she, uh, she thought, that me and some of the other pastors would love this 2008 calendar that she was in. And uh, let, me, 
Yeah, let me just tell you. The women of Calhoun County. It's a Southerner's delight, I guess. It's all senior adult women in pretty like traditional Southern settings, like a barn or sitting on a tractor. But instead of clothes, it's like American flag or like a sweet tea pitcher covering up. And it's like, Miss Christine, what am I going to do? Like hang that in my office? Like I can't, I can't accept this gift. You've seen it all. I, I love watching like YouTube videos of like when stuff goes wrong during sermons. I think it's just because, you know, it's gone wrong for me too. Um, what do you do when the pastor falls off the stage? Like I've done that before. Like there's a little bit of a gap here. I just like to be close to you guys. And one time it came back to bite me and our, our team has some of the old archive footage. Check this out. It's real life. Hear our prayers and answer our prayers. Because here's the cool thing about God. He promises. Turn down for what? So I think the music, the music, thank you. The music was a little much, right? Like I don't preach to hip hop music, right? That's not my soundtrack. In a little bit, I prefer like some keys to set the mood music, not like hip hop or whatever. But you know, here's the deal. The video team didn't show you that I landed on my feet, okay? Like Spider-Man, I got, got on my feet, got right back on stage and a revival broke out. So thank you. <laughs> When you feel like you've seen it all though, when you start going through the motions, when you feel like you know what to expect, you tend to lower your expectations. And, and how many of us have come to church on a Sunday and the last thing that we thought would happen took place where, where God shows up and speaks directly to you? Like, why is it that we always assume the message is for somebody else? I'm doing good. I'm not cussing as much as I used to. I'm not watching radar movie. I'm a moral person. And then boom, God just like zaps you and you realize, man, I've got so much more work to do. You know, I, I feel like sometimes we assume the ministries for somebody else, that person that we invite and we're thinking, man, I know the series we in is really going to help them in their marriage. And then all of a sudden the sermon, it's almost like the preacher was reading my journal and he just knows what was going on. And I'm just here to say, I'm just a normal dude from Pensacola, Florida. Like I, I, God sometimes speaks through us. And, and, and while we're grateful that you trust us with a microphone, I just want you to know, I, I think a lot of time this, it's, it's those Sundays where you show up and yeah wasn't my favorite song. It was, I didn't get a lot out of worship and the message was pretty good. I, I think it's not that God is speaking less or the volume is turned down. I just wonder if sometimes we are going through the motions and maybe spiritually and emotionally it's become kind of routine and it's not a relationship anymore. Well, maybe this could be one of those Sundays where we, we press mute on everything else and max out the volume of what God has to say and we could see what our response is when God shows up. We're going to open up our Bibles to the book of Isaiah chapter six. And he was like many of you in the room today, going through the motion. Things were going really well in Judah. God's people, the Hebrew, the Hebrew people, the Israelites, just like us on the Lord's day, you show up for church. They went to the temple and they would go through their rituals and pray their prayers and offer their sacrifices for their sins. And, and the very last thing that Isaiah thought would happen happened. God appears in the temple and disrupts all of his plans and disrupts all of his expectations of what the Sabbath, the Lord's day is supposed to be. And here, a regular average Joe like you and I, just doing what he thought was socially acceptable on a Sabbath day, is confronted with the presence of God. And it changes everything. So Isaiah 6, let's see what happens. 
when God shows up. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting up on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. I didn't realize smoke machines are an ancient worship invention, but we've got that covered here at Dawson campus. I want you to notice something. These seraphim are not just like what we think of like our guardian angel looking like. Like this isn't a wonderful life with some cute, you know, gray haired guy trying to look over us. This is a mighty heavenly being with six wings who when he speaks, it shakes more than the bass drum speaks, uh, shakes in these subwoofers. This was a scary moment. Whenever angels are revealed in their true form, everyone is scared. Usually the angels have to begin the conversation by saying, don't be afraid because it's a, it's a terrifying moment. But for some reason, when Isaiah was just showing up and doing his religious duty before the Lord, God decided to open up the curtains and give Isaiah a peek into the spiritual realm. And, and I just want you to like make no mistake, the fact that you're even here is a tremendous spiritual victory because the enemy is working everything he can to give you every excuse he can to miss out on the gathering of the family of God. And you're here, and that's significant. And I think God has you here for a reason. Let's see what happens when Isaiah's eyes are opened up to the bigger picture. Verse five, and I said, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. Let's pray. And God, I would just ask in these next few moments that we would compare and contrast our life and our response to your presence against what happened here in Isaiah's life. Sunday after Sunday, Lord, we, we come through these doors or we watch online and, and it's just really easy for this to become part of the list of what we do in the Bible Belt. And Lord, I pray this is a lot more than just a belief system. I pray this is something that fuels us back up and, and commissions us to live a life of purpose and intention and not our will, not our purposes, not our intentions, but yours. Help us to have that same response that Isaiah did where we, we get to a point in our journey with you where we say, here I am, Lord, send me, use me, your will be done. So speak to us today, Jesus, we'll be listening. In your name we pray, amen. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to look at everything that happened here in this moment. And, and I think as, as we compare Isaiah's response to God's presence, I think we're gonna see in our life, no matter where we are, that we've all got some steps to take on our spiritual journey. Now, you may be here today trying to score brownie points with somebody you're trying to get to go on a date. You may not be a Christ follower yet. That's totally cool. You may not be watching online because you're a part of this church. You may have just gotten tagged in a post where someone thought this would be a relevant topic to you. I'm not really sure what your intentions are, but, but you're here 
And, and while you're listening, I would just tell you to maybe just give this whole God thing a chance. We believe that he is guiding the universe and we believe that it's no accident that you're here in this place. And if you're here with questions and skepticism and cynicism, I just want to tell you, we don't believe that we're better. We believe Jesus is better. We don't believe anything about us is superior. We just believe that if we live like Jesus and we try to say yes to his purposes for our life, that th things have a, a funny way of working out for his glory and, and not our own. We don't think we're better. We think Jesus is better. And, and, and we're here to just say, man, our, our, we're a church about life change stories. Our story is I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. We know what our life change story is. I was fill in the blank. You've all been there, right? The thing that, that unifies this room is, is not how far we have gone into our Christianity, right? The thing that unifies us in this room is our need for God's grace because of the dark things in our heart and because of the things that we've done wrong. Like what happened there in that moment when Isaiah was just going to church? His realization was his own sinfulness, his own need for repentance. And his response to the holiness of God was woe is me. I am lost. Other translations say I'm just undone. There was something about the presence of God that revealed something in Isaiah's life that needed to change. And we live in a day and age that wants you to believe that you're okay the way you are. And we have wrongly made love and tolerance a synonym. And they're not. And I, I love you enough to, to speak from my own experience, and, and I'm judging probably from the fact that I don't think there's any perfect people in this room, that there's some things in your life as well as mine that need to change. You're not perfect the way you are. I'm raising toddlers. <laughs> no one taught my four-year-old how to lie, but he's getting really good at it. Like, I want you to think back to the first time that you were put in timeout. You didn't have some little toddler on the playground saying, hey, here's how you steal from the cookie jar. It's in our nature to screw things up, which means it's in our nature to also need to come to a place of repentance and recognizing the wrong that we're capable of. And to just simply be a culture of tolerance means that we're robbing opportunities for people to understand their need for Jesus. I want you to know, even as a pastor, I need Jesus today more than I needed him yesterday. Whether I do good or do bad, I'm all in his debt because his grace covers the bad things that I do and his grace enables the good things that I do. I don't have anything special to offer and no Christian does. It's all about his grace and it all starts with a place of repentance. Woe is me, but it didn't stop there. In a moment with the presence of God being revealed, Isaiah goes from repentant over his sin to ready and willing to be used by God. Here I am, send me, this is too good. I can't help but to tell people about the love of God, about the supremacy of God, that his ways are higher, his ways are better. It's not about me, it's all about him. I know I'm new to this, but use me. I can't wait, put me in the game, coach. He got to a place in a moment that takes many of us years to in our spiritual life. He went from repentance to readiness. And, and here's what I've learned about this spiritual progression. Our relationship with God, it begins at repentance, but it progresses through readiness. And I think there's many of us here in the room that have come to that place of repentance where we recognize he's God, I'm not. Yeah, I can agree with you. I'm not perfect. 
I need forgiveness for the things that I've done. I've got a past. Thank God for his grace. I'm going to repent and believe in him and then go about being a good Christian boy, being a good Christian girl. And there's still a big gap between repentance and readiness. See, today in age, we think ready is really reserved for people like Brian Haas, right? We think it's for like people like, like Billy Graham, the, the, the leaders, the prophets, the teachers, the evangelists. Man, they're the ones that God is going to use. Well, well maybe in, in the Old Testament, God would raise up prophets to speak. But now in the New Testament, the, 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 the Spirit of God doesn't just dwell in a temple. The Spirit of God dwells in the hearts of people who claim Him as their Lord. So your voice as a Christ follower, if Jesus is the Lord of your life, your voice could have the same potency and the same power and the same capacity to impact somebody's eternity as any preacher with a microphone. It's just a matter of going from repentant over sin to ready and willing to be used by God to live a life according to his design. It's not about you anymore once you repent. I think I spend my life in the South and see that this kind of this unofficial religion is Christianity. It's just a Sunday thing. It's an event. It's not a lifestyle. And something has to happen as we go from repentance to readiness. So let's break down what repentance really is. Because uh, there, there's a guy down in Tallahassee at this amazing church, and he wrote this book called The Unsaved Christian. And it's an amazing book. You should read it because you, you might realize, man, like I've never really made this faith my own. Like I, I prayed a prayer as a six-year-old kid and got baptized, but it wasn't until I was 14 at a, at a youth camp where I realized I've been, I've been trying through my good behavior and church attendance and youth choir and all these things and trying to pray this prayer. I don't really feel saved, so maybe I need to pray it again. And I'd had sleepless nights as a 13 and 14 year old, just trying to get this prayer right. And then my dad said, Nathan, you, you can't get this prayer right. I'm like, dad, I, I don't feel saved. And he goes, you don't feel saved. You just get saved. You just repent. You just believe it and receive it. You, you notice what happens here in this repentant moment. He didn't say he was sorry for his sin because repentance isn't an apology. Yes, repentance is a shift. He did recognize compared to the holiness of God, my sinfulness man, something's got to change. It's not business as usual anymore. I've come in contact with the holiness of God. But he didn't just say sorry and pray a sinner's prayer like we do at a VBS when we're a kid and then hope for the best. He had a life-changing moment. And I think too often in church world, we, we, we diminish repentance to just an abstinence of, of bad. And guys, it's so much more than that. See, if, if, if this is my past and I'm repented, meaning bad past, I repent from you. I will not do all these bad things. There's still a whole horizon that I haven't looked into of the good things that I can do to live out my faith, to, to, to live out my purpose as one of his children. Think about it like this. I've been married for my wife for nine years now. And in those nine years, I've not hit her. I've not cheated on her. I think I'm a pretty good husband, right? Good job. That's the way to go, man. The baseline minimum. You haven't cheated. You haven't beat it. Way to go. But I think that's the way a lot of us treat our Christianity, right? Look what I'm not doing. Look at all these things that I'm avoiding. Look at all these political opinions that I post on Facebook. Look at all these things that I'm against. That's not repentance. 
Yeah, we are called into holiness. That means we need to step away from the bad. But so many of us, I don't think, have stepped into the good. And if all you're doing in your Christianity is, is, is making known what you're against and making known the things that you're, that you're refraining from, you're missing out on, on pursuing such an amazing purpose of living a life to know Jesus and to make him known. My wife knows that she is loved by the way I pursue her, not the things that I avoid. May we be people who move quickly from that place of repentance, turning away from sin and self. But may we move quickly like Isaiah to a place of readiness and willingness. It's not somebody else's responsibility. If you know Jesus, there is a calling on your life. It's a misnomer to say that, that pastors are called into ministry. See, the last thing that Jesus did before he ascended back into heaven, he gathered 500 believers, not just his 12 disciples, and said, you will be my witnesses. That was a commission that echoes down the halls of time to every one of us who named Jesus as our Lord. You are called to be his witness. Your story matters. What you were, your intersection with God and what you are now is meant to help introduce someone to Jesus and help them become a follower of him as well. It's not enough to just invite people to church from the cul-de-sac to the cubicle. There are people that are floating in your orbit that God has an appointment set up for you to share your story. But so often we think, I, I don't know enough of the Bible. I haven't been saved long enough. That's the preacher's job. You don't know about my past. I'm unqualified. Man, what was holding Isaiah back? He knew that readiness isn't a qualification. And church, if you're waiting for some sort of like mile marker on your spiritual journey of, of getting closer and closer to Jesus, you're going to keep yourself on the sidelines. And God wants you to get in on the game. The Bible tells us that when we come to that place of repentance, we go from spiritual death to spiritual life. That's why Jesus calls it being born again. And something happens when you're born again. He endows you with something called spiritual gifts. There are gifts, there are talents, there are dreams, there are skill sets that God places in your life when you place your faith in him. And the Bible tells us that those spiritual gifts are meant to edify or strengthen the body and help display his power. So let me tell you, if it's only the preachers and the worship leaders who are using their spiritual gifts, there's probably somebody in these rows that is missing out. Because our gifts aren't enough. We gotta be the body of Christ, the family of God, his hands and his feet. Your presence is needed, yes, to fill these seats and it's great that something is happening here and this is a growing church, but that momentum is only going to go as far as our willingness is as a Dawson family to say, count me in. There's too many people that are dying and going to hell in my community, count me in. I'm ready and I'm willing. It's not enough to be saved and have assurance of the afterlife. I don't want you just to be king of heaven. I want you to be king of my life here on earth. And I want to make every breath count. I want to make every second matter. You have a purpose. You have a calling. And who's missing out? If you're playing, staying at that place of repentance and avoiding the bad and just doing this casual Christianity. This process that I'm describing is what, what theologians have, have kind of labeled sanctification. It's a big word that just means you're, 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 you're becoming more like Christ. You're set apart from the bad, but more importantly, you're set apart to the things of God. 
See, salvation, getting saved is what happened at that moment of repentance. Romans 10, it says, if we believe with our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and he rose from the grave to forgive us, then we will be saved. That's salvation. That's where it starts. But I think a lot of us have stayed there. There's deeper layers. There's more to be done. And God showed me what it looked like in kind of a beautiful metaphor the other day. About a year ago, we bought a home. We're like, we're digging roots here in Georgia. We've lived in Pensacola, Miami, Las Vegas, and we've been renting and we decided, you know what? Let's raise our kids here. And let's make this house feel like the next like 20 something years and then we'll figure out what to do once they, they graduate. And so over the past few months, we've been wanting to really make this house feel like a home. And so one of the first things you do is you go to Sherwin-Williams and you get this paint sample book, which got all kinds of things like agreeable gray. What else do we have here? Ooh, wildflower, mauve finery, all things in the great shade of lavender. So we started really spending a lot of time in this book, almost more time than we're spending in the good book. And so we needed to repent from that. I'm sure you've been there before where a hobby just takes over. But as we were painting our front door, this first coat, we could still see some of the old door in the background. It was really dark and we were painting it a really light color. And you could tell it's, it's a sky blue now, but there's just not what it was on the paint sample. And so we're like, yeah, when this dries, we're gonna have to put on a second coat. And you've, you've been there before. You've realized, okay, this, this paint isn't enough just for one coat. And, and while we were applying the second coat, God was like, man, this is where you need to be right now, Nathan. In so many areas of your life, you settled for that first coat where you just got saved. You became a Christian, but there is a whole second coat of sanctification where it's time for you to deepen your Christ-likeness. It's time for you to deepen the application of your spiritual gifts. It's time for you to deepen your spiritual discipline. It's time for you to, to rely on God more today than you did yesterday. I mean, isn't that where the enemy trips up so many of us? He, he may not make you bad, but he makes you busy and tricks you into thinking that I, I, I'm good. I, I went to church. Like, I'm, I, don't, I don't really, I can maybe skip my, my quiet time today and it becomes a slow fade and you begin to look like that old coat of paint and it starts chipping away a little bit. I think many of us have just settled for first coat Christianity. And I don't know what the second coat looks like for you in your life, but I know God wants to deepen his work in and through you. I know he wants you to exercise your spiritual gifts. I know there are people at the water cooler at your work, parents that are sitting beside you at the little league game in the stands that need to know what Jesus has done for you. There are opportunities inside this church to be his hands and his feet to welcome people it's not my job to, to push you into that next step. That's between you and God. But as a pastor, I just want to let you know, man, there's never not going to be a second step. Right when you feel like you're getting to some kind of place of maturity, God will just blow your mind and realize, man, he's so much bigger than I thought. And there's so much more that I can do for him because of him. So what we're gonna do right now is close our, our time of worship in a time of prayer. And I can't help but to think in a, in a room full of 200 something people that maybe there's somebody with some question marks about, man, am I an unsaved Christian? Has this just been kind of a religious thing I've been doing all these years? Maybe you've really never come to a place where you have a relationship with Jesus. That was me for eight years of my life. 
thought I prayed a prayer, but I knew something was missing. It was just a belief in my heart. I didn't have to earn it. I didn't have to impress upon God to save me. All I had to do was receive it. And we do that through just a simple prayer. You've probably heard preachers lead you through it before. Some people call it the sinner's prayer and it's not necessarily about the words, it's about the belief in our heart. And what I'm gonna ask that we would do with every head bowed, every eye closed, that you would repeat this audibly after me. Even those who have saints of the church have been saved and are using your spiritual gifts, I just want us to all say this audibly to kind of stand in solidarity with those who are trying to summon the courage to take a step forward. So would everyone repeat after me? This is a chance for dead people to become alive in Christ. It's a holy moment. Everyone repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. My way is not getting it done. I know you died on the cross. You rose again from the grave to forgive me, to save me. Thank you. Be my Lord. Be my guide. I'll live my life for you. In your name we pray. Amen. So guys, just take it in for a moment because even though it feels calm and holy and and reverent here, Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 15 that, that heaven throws an extravagant party when one sinner, when just one sinner finds salvation. So you know what that means? We just disrupted the Sunday morning that they're having up there in heaven. Like they, the angels may be playing golf on the, on the greenway. I like to think of heaven as like this cracker barrel up in the clouds. They are off of their rocking chairs and they're celebrating life change. I think we can too, amen? People are going from death to life. And that's a big deal. And if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, and man, it's, it's our our honor it's our pleasure it's our responsibility as pastors to walk with you on that journey and you'll see on those seat backs some cards where you can just kind of indicate that prayer that you prayed just fill that out and drop it at our drop boxes at both of our exits and we're not going to be creepy and come find where you live we just want to walk with you on this journey and talk with you about the next steps of following Jesus as a as a relationship no longer religion no longer routine no longer an obligation but an opportunity to live your life for him And for the rest of us in this room, in a minute as Ben leads us in this song, it's good, good father. And my my prayer is that you realize, man, there's there's probably some, some toes that have got stepped on. I'm stepping on my own as well. I'm not coming from a place of figuring it out. But just know, in 2 Corinthians, it talks about there's a difference between worldly guilt and godly guilt. And I think the difference is conviction. See, conviction isn't the father saying, ha, 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 I got you here with some cool worship and, and, and like free coffee, but now guilted, now you gotta go on a mission trip. That's not how our good father works. What he's interested in is not grandiose gestures, but small, consistent acts of obedience. So as we sing this song, my prayer is for those who have been repentant and who have been going through the motions that we would make some commitments to God here that in our daily lives, in our community, in our workplace, with our friends, with our family, here inside of this church family, that we be, become ready and willing to be used by God and live a life. It's all about making him known. Would you stand and sing?